Psalm 34 this morning, if you have your Bible handy, Psalm chapter 34, welcome to week number two of Corona Church, and uh, I guess it's happening all over our nation today, and we're certainly thankful, as Pastor Tyler mentioned a moment ago, we're thankful for those of you who have gathered with us uh, in body today and scattered all throughout the auditorium and uh, we're also thankful certainly for those who have uh, joined us online and and we know that the online experience is it's not ideal uh, because we're instructed to assemble together um, that is a physical, visible assembling of us together as the fellowship family. But being together online um, will have to suffice for the next few weeks. And let me just let me just throw this out there to those who may be joining us online from somewhere other than liberal Kansas, can I just say to you this morning, that's not ideal either. Um, we're thankful that you can view the services today, but I would, I would really strongly recommend that you find a, a local church where you are and uh, get there and get plugged in and get busy um, because it's all, listen, it's always been God's, um, always been God's plan for us to serve Him through a local body. And uh, so I hope, and, and if you need help finding one, reach out to us, contact us, uh, because I'll be honest, um, this online thing is, is just not where where Fellowship Baptist Church is headed for the long term. Um, it's just because we do not want to enable um, others to stay home from a local assembly and go to church online. That's not God's plan. And uh, so anyway, I'll just throw that out there to you. I'm glad that we're able to use technology and do what we're doing today and what we'll be doing for God knows how long in the future. Um, but it's really not, um, it's really not ideal. Um, one of the many attributes of God uh, that is mentioned over and over again in the scriptures is that he's good. For example, in Psalm 25 and verse 8, the Bible says, Good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 31, 19, oh, how great is thy goodness. Psalm 33, 5, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. In Psalm 52 and verse 1, the psalmist wrote, the goodness of God endureth continually. And over in Psalm 106, praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. And here's why, for he is good. And here in our text this morning, we are invited to experience God's goodness for ourselves. Look at it in verse 8, Psalm 34 and verse 8. 
Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. David yearns for us to experience and to enjoy what he had experienced and enjoyed of the goodness of God. But let's be honest right here. Good and goodness are not words that some would choose to describe their life experience right now. And, and I totally, I totally get that, especially with the governor's request uh, this week that we, we stay home and that we shelter in place. Some who are listening today found out this week or maybe late last week that they no longer have a job, at least for the time being. Others found out recently that their spring sports would, would be canceled and that most likely they'll not have the opportunity that their siblings experienced or that their parents had to walk across the stage and see their 12 or 13 years of education culminate with the receiving of a diploma. Families have been thrown into a tailspin because they're, they're trying to, to balance work and child care and education all at the same time. I mean, let's just be honest, this whole virus thing has turned life upside down and inside out for so many of us. And it has left some, quite honestly, questioning the idea that God is good in any way, shape, or form. Their question would be something like this, well, if God is so good then why are things so bad? One of the leading apologists of our day, a man by the name of Lee Strobel, once commissioned a national survey, and he asked people what question they would ask God if they could only ask him one thing. And the number one response was, why is there suffering in the world? And I wish with all my heart that I could stand here this morning and tell you that I have all of the answers, but I don't. And there's one simple reason why I don't, and that's because I'm not God. Paul explained our situation this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12. He said, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now, he said, I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. You see, there's coming a day when we may know the answers to all of our questions. But until then, we're left with what we can glean from God's Word. And I'm thankful that God has given us some instruction and some opportunities to learn from, from His Word. So we're not left without anything. God has helped us in some ways. And my prayer is that our study today 
will help shed some light on the issue of suffering and evil in the world. And so let's start here this morning. I think this is a a logical place for us to begin, and that is with the origin of evil in the world. And right off the bat, I want to say this morning without hesitation and without reservation that God did not create evil and suffering. As a matter of fact, what God created was just the opposite. Let me ask you a question today. If you were God, what kind of world would you have created? You say, well, pastor, that's easy. I I would have created a world that was perfect. I would have created a world without sickness and without disease and without war and without famine and without poverty and without any of the things that plague us today. And I would say to you, congratulations. You've just created the same world that God created in the beginning. Look at it, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, understand this. Among his creation that God said was very good was man. And understand this, he was created with the ability to choose. And everything went just fine in the perfect world of Adam and Eve until one day they decided to misuse their right to choose and they chose to disobey the word of God. Most of us are are familiar with the temptation of Adam and and Eve and and their sin in the garden. If you're not, I would encourage you to go to Genesis chapter 3 later today and read that. And here's why that incident is so important. It's because to that one incident, we can trace all of the evil that exists in our world today. With Adam's sin in the garden, the entire human race became corrupt. Romans 5.19 says this, by one man, that's Adam, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. If you want to know where ground zero is with regard to evil in the world, it's the Garden of Eden. And if you want to know who patient zero is, so to speak, it's Adam. But listen, not only was mankind corrupted that day, but so was the physical world that we live in. After God confronted Adam and Eve with their disobedience and their sin uh, in partaking of the forbidden fruit, he says this in verse verse 17, part of verse 18 of chapter 3, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, 
God said, here's what's going to happen now, Adam. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And, and today, March what 29th, 2020, as the world is right now, Understand this, it's not how God intended it to be. It's not living up to God's expectations. And, and I know what some of you are probably wondering at this point, then why doesn't God do something about it? And I'll answer that later. So we see that Adam's sin is to blame for the origin of sin in the world, but I would also submit this to you this morning. It is also to blame for the ongoing evil in the world. There are basically two types of, of evil in the world there's moral evil and there's natural evil. Moral evil speaks of things like crime and abuse and immorality. Paul said in Romans 3:23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it's that sin that we have all committed that is responsible for the moral evil of our day. Natural evil has to do with things like earthquakes and tornadoes like they had uh, yesterday in, uh, in Arkansas and I believe up in, in, in Illinois, if I'm not mistaken, and tsunamis. We read in Genesis 3, or we read in Genesis chapter 3, where, where not only was man cursed because of sin, if you remember I pointed out, so was the earth. And listen what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Now, we can all relate to that because sometimes when, when we get sick and, and we're achy and, and, and we're just not feeling well, how many times do we say, oh, I can't wait till this thing to get over. I am so sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know what I'm saying? That's the earth right now. The earth is groaning in travail. The earth is longing for things to be made right. And one day it will be. But until then, we still have to contend with the groaning and the travail of this earth in the form of natural disasters. Natural evil also involves the physical suffering that we all have to endure. Things like cancer and deformity and viruses and death. Remember what God told Adam would happen should he partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He said, thou shalt surely die. Well, Adam didn't die that day. He lived to be 130 years old, but he eventually did succumb to death. And the reason he did that was because of the genetic breakdown of the body and it becoming susceptible to disease. 
So the reason our bodies get old and weak and the reason we're susceptible to all kinds of diseases, including this, this virus that has such a stranglehold on our nation right now, is because of Adam's original sin in the garden. So what is the, what is the outcome of, of, of all of this? Let me just say this before I, I, I get into more of this. Whether you're willing to accept what I have to say next or not is really up to you. But it's the truth nonetheless. And here it is. God can take even the most evil situation and the most painful suffering and turn them into something good and profitable. Let me give you a couple of things to consider. Through pain, God can draw us. It was C.S. Lewis who one time said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. But he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone, our, our pain, that rouses a deaf world. You say, well, Pastor, I, I don't know if I agree with that statement. Well, let's look at it this way. More times than not, when all is well in a, in a person's life, for many, many, at that point, there is little need for God and little thought of God. We've all seen it happen. But when disaster strikes and suffering starts, and sickness comes or disappointment sets in, all of a sudden, thoughts have a tendency to turn to God. I mean, just go back a few years ago to September 11th. Churches were filled to capacity after that tragedy. Why? Because God shouts to us. It's his megaphone that says, hey, you need me. Hey, I'm still in charge. Hey, you need to listen. But what happened after things began to subside? Things went back to normal. So here we are in another national crisis, literally an international crisis. I mean, just... Scroll through Facebook, and all of a sudden, people are talking about God who never talked about God before. People are tuning into church services that, that on Sunday morning, you when you sleep in. Why? Because this thing is God's megaphone, and He said, "Hey, hey, church, we need to listen." Listen, many a soul has been saved because of adversity, either in their own life or in the life of, of someone they love. Just 
last year or two years ago, my brother and I had a, a nephew who came to one of our services, he lives in Wichita, and he came to one of our services, and, and that Sunday morning, I mean from the time the music started to the time the invitation started, God was just, God was just grabbing his heart and wrenching his heart. And that Sunday morning, he came and got saved. You know why? Because he was at our son's funeral in February of 2018. And he said, I needed what TJ had. So it wasn't Ryan's pain that led him to Jesus. It was somebody else's pain that brought him to a saving knowledge of Christ. But either way, he's saved today and on his way to heaven. I'm just telling you, these, these, these times of pain and anguish have a way of drawing us to God. Take Joni Erickson Tata, for example. She broke her neck as a, as a teenager and was paralyzed. I want you to listen to her words about the pain that, had, that, that drew her to God. She said, I'd rather be in this wheelchair knowing God than on my feet without Him. Mercy. Hey, preacher, what's that about? It's about God drawing us through our pain. Not only can God draw us through our pain, if we're believers today, we're a child of God today, then God can use our pain to develop us. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 5. He said, and not only so, he said, but we glory, catch that, but we glory in tribulations, in, in difficulties, in trying times, in in, in the struggles of life, he said, we glory in that, and here's why. Because we know that that tribulation is going to work patience, and that patience experience, and that experience hope. And Paul said, listen, I, I may not like it, but I receive it, and I appreciate it, and I thank God for it, because I know what it's doing in my life. It's developing things in my life, like patience and, and all of those things that, that I need. God uses suffering sometimes to mature us and make us more like Jesus. You know, it's like the old saying, no pain, no gain. Romans 8, verses 28 and 29 teach us the connection between suffering and spiritual maturity. And all of us know really, really well, verse 28, which says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But so often we stop at verse 28 and we leave out verse 29, which is really a tragedy because verse 29 explains verse 28. What is the good that could possibly come from all of these things. For whom he, whom God did foreknow, he also did predestinate. In other words, it's always been God's design for those who know him as their Savior to be conformed to the image of his Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
In other words, what Paul teaches us there is that if you live a committed life to Christ, and by the way, let me just take a time out here. Listen, Romans 8.28 isn't for everybody in the world. Romans 8.28 is a promise to those who love God. It's a promise to those who live committed lives to Jesus Christ. And for those, Paul says this, we can rest assured that all of these things are working together for God's glory and for our good. Now, if you still doubt that that God can take something bad and turn it into something good, then allow me to offer you one more fact for your consideration this morning. It's the fact of Christ's death on the cross, which was unquestionably the worst crime ever perpetrated by mankind in the history of the universe. But still, listen, still, God took that and made something good out of it. God took the death of his son on the cross and made a way for sinful man to be made right with him and to spend eternity in heaven. Isn't that awesome? So let's focus on one more thought this morning. That would be the outcome, or excuse me, our outlook of evil in the world. One of two things will be true as the result of our outlook on the evil that exists in our world, including the time that we're living in right now. These, this pandemic will do one of two things. It will either make people bitter or it will make them better. And church, understand this this morning. That choice is ours. Someone has written and said, I believe all suffering is at least potential good. An opportunity for good. It's up to our free choice to actualize that potential. Not all of us benefit from suffering and learn from it. Because that's up to us. It's up to our free will. And we've all seen people emerge from pain and suffering, one of these two ways. Some have come forth angry and bitter and hard and and they've just lost all faith in God. While others, some who've gone through that very same struggle, have come forth with a faith that is stronger than ever. Why? Because we choose what these things are going to do to us. 
because of the evil in this world, we can either run to God or we can run from Him. But for those who choose to run to Him, here's His promise to you from John chapter 16. Jesus said, These things have I written unto you that ye might have that, that excuse me, these things have I written, spoken unto you that in me, note that, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He said, I have overcome the world. In this one verse, Christ offers to those who are in him, believers, the born again, he offers the two things that we need most when we are overcome by the evil of this world. One, he offers us peace for the present, and he offers us courage for the future. You see, God's ultimate answer to suffering is not an explanation. Listen. God doesn't owe us an explanation. Any more than you as a parent owe your children an explanation sometimes as to why you do things or why you tell them to do things. Well, why? What's your answer? Because I'm the parent. Because I told you so. Listen, God doesn't owe us an explanation. And that's not his ultimate answer to suffering. His ultimate answer to suffering is salvation. So, Pastor, are you telling me that if I come to Christ, if I get saved, that all of my problems are going to go away? No, 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 no. But it does give us a personal relationship with Jesus who promises to never leave us or forsake us. Listen, God is not some distant, detached, disinterested deity. He is a personal God who through his Son entered into our world and into our pain. Sometimes people say rather harshly, well, if, if God is so loving, why is he so mean? He doesn't have any idea how bad this hurts. And to that I would would kindly say this morning, that's just not true. Are you broken? The Bible says he was broken for us. Do you cry out that, that you just can't take it anymore? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Did someone betray you? He was sold out. Are your dearest relationships broken? He loved and was rejected. Do you realize that there was even a time when Jesus asked his father why? I know, I know some well-meaning people at times will say this, well, we know we're not supposed to ask why. Where is that in the Bible? God, is, as I said, is under no obligation to give us an explanation. But we're never told not to ask why. I mean, just read through the book of Psalms and ask David, or, or, or notice how, time, how many times David questioned God. Jesus even questioned God. 
as he hung on the cross and he was taking our sin in his own body. His father, who the Bible says is, is of pure eyes and to behold evil and cannot look on iniquity, as his son was taking the sins of, of all of mankind on himself, the Bible says that God turned his back on his son. And in the midst of that pain and suffering and agony, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why? Why hast thou forsaken me? Yes, even God's Son questioned him. But he never cursed him. He never rejected him, and he didn't swear that he would have nothing to do with him ever again. Listen to me this morning. Don't let the pain and disappointment in your life make you bitter. God help us all. To allow those things to make us better. Now I promised earlier in the message to answer the question. If, if God is aware of all of the pain and all of the suffering in the world. Why doesn't he do something about it? And the answer is simply this. You ready? He's going to. Just because he hasn't done it yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Listen to how the Bible describes that time. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Mm, I love this. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. Somebody say hallelujah. One day, one day God's going to make it right again. Just like it was in the beginning. And I know what some of you are thinking this morning, well, what's a hold up? What if I told you that you may be the holdup? Stay with me. Peter said in 2 Peter 3, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. And here's why he suffers long, because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. One day, listen, one day, 
the last person who will ever be saved will be saved. And when that happens, it will begin a chain of events that will culminate in everything happening that we just read from the book of Revelation. Everything being perfectly new as it once was. No more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more viruses. And what if that last person is you? What if God is waiting for you to receive his son as your savior before any of that can happen? In light of that, can I ask you a question this morning? If God is so mean, then why is he so loving? If God is this evil, wicked, mean, bad, and nasty being that some claim he is, then why is he waiting for them to come to him? Listen, it's not God that's evil. It's us. Mankind who is evil. And listen, because of our evil, we deserve to be eternally separated from God. But as we read a moment ago, God's not willing that any should perish. And he's waiting to receive as many as are willing to come to him. And my question to you this morning is, are you willing to make that commitment today? Who knows? You may be the last one. God says, boom, that's it. We're out of here. Every saved person will be gone. And listen to me this morning. This, this panic and this scrambling for supplies and jockeying for position, listen to me this morning. This is not even a drop in the bucket to the chaos that's going to break out when people all over the world start disappearing. And graves are just burst open like somebody broken out of, had broken out of jail. That's another message for another time. But you listen to me today, it's going to happen. As sure as you're sitting in one of these chairs or you're sitting in front of a computer at home or an iPad or an iPhone at home or whatever, it's going to happen. And this world has not seen panic like it will see on that day in the days and weeks and months and years to follow. And for those who are saved, listen, I know, I know that things are not great right now. None of us like the changes that are occurring to our regular schedules. None of us like the limits that are, that are being placed on us. I mean, come on, this, this whole thing 
is just really cramping our style. But don't forget, there's coming a day when no heartache will come. No more clouds in the sky. No more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore. On that happy golden shore. What a day. Mm, what a day. Glorious day. That shall be. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's sing this. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Let's pray.